Well, good morning, Faith Fellowship. Oh, let's try that again. Good morning, Faith Fellowship. Oh, one more time. You can do better. Good morning, Faith Fellowship. All right, there we go. A lot has happened in a year. A year ago, we were doing all of this remotely. A year ago, I was looking for a place to record my Easter message, and I decided I would try the second story of my barn. When I fell through the second story of my barn, I decided to keep my feet on the ground and move out to the woods. My oldest daughter also became pregnant. In fact, she is in the hospital as we speak now. Well, good and bad. Uh, she was actually at dinner last night, and through some odd circumstance of events, they decided all to take their blood pressure. Hers happened to be really high. So she wound up going to calling her doctor, and the doctor said, you need to go to the hospital. They've told her, you're not leaving until you have this baby, which may be Monday, maybe Tuesday. But she's doing fine. Her blood pressure's coming down. But in any case, we're looking forward to, uh, it'll be about three to four weeks earlier than they were hoping for, but she'll be almost at 35 weeks, which the doctor says is, uh, is okay. There is uh, something else significant this year when it comes to resurrection. It is time for our good friends, the 17 years cicada, to come crawling up out of the ground. Yeah, in record numbers, in record numbers. The total 17-year cicada population is expected to be in the trillions, with a T, in the trillions, up to as many as one and a half million per acre. It's going to be a, a, a May crunch, no matter where you walk, when this is going on. What better place than to be here indoors? As always, we want to remind you, if you missed a message, any message of the year, you want to catch up, you can do so by going online to www.ffcsermon.org where you can download, listen, listen via a podcast. You can also go to www.ffcph.org, click on the live tab, and you can watch any previously recorded message. Well, let's pray and see what God has for us today. Father, we thank you for your presence here with us. We thank you that you so willingly sent your son. We thank you that he came, he died, that he was obedient to the death of the cross. And Father, we most certainly thank you that he rose again, that he rose again victorious over death and over sin. And because of that, everything has changed. We have new life in Jesus Christ. We thank you for it. We thank you for your presence here with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. A man, his wife, and his somewhat cranky mother-in-law went on vacation to the Holy Land. While they were there, his mother-in-law passed away. The undertaker told him, now, you can have her shipped home, but the cost will be $5,000. Or we can bury her here in the Holy Land, and it will only be $150. The man thought about it for a while and, and told the undertaker that he would just rather have her shipped home. The younger tater asked, well, wh why would you want to do that? Why would you want to spend $5,000 to ship your mother-in-law all the way home when it would be wonderful for her to be buried here in the promised land only for $150? The man paused and thought for a while, and then he said, a man died here 2,000 years ago. He was buried here, and three days later he rose again. I can't take that chance. 
It's an old joke, but it still works. <laughs> Every date in history is actually dated, including your birthday, in relation to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every time you write a date, using, it's using Jesus as a focal point. When you say 2019, 2021, from where? It's measured from the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even atheists refer to Jesus every time they write down a date. The resurrection of Jesus accomplished a lot of different things. Of course, it divided A.D. from B.C., but the first thing that it did was to validate Jesus' identity. It proved that he was who he claimed to be. Throughout history, lots of people have claimed to be God. But Jesus said, I'm going to prove it to you by letting you put me to death death on a cross, and then I'm going to raise myself again three days later. And I'm going to walk around Jerusalem after that for another 40 days. Acts 1-3 says, after his death, he showed himself to them and proved in many ways that he was alive. The apostles saw Jesus during the 40 days after he was raised from the dead, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Can you imagine walking down the street and knowing that you had put him on a cross and that he had died? Imagine the shock of seeing him alive. Jesus also proved by his resurrection that there is life after death, that death is not the end of the story. What I want to do this morning is to look at the fact that Jesus gave us a model, a model in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. He gave us a model for how to handle life as we follow him, for those who follow him. What a great way to experience the power of the resurrection in our daily lives. In Peter's first letter, he says this. He says, this is what you were called to. In other words, to go through tough times because Christ suffered for you. He gave you an example to follow, so you should do as he did. In other words, through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he modeled what you should do in the worst days of your life as you follow him. When you go through tragedies, when you go through pain-filled circumstances, days of doubt and, and depression and despair, he says you need to follow the model which Jesus did as he suffered. Let me explain. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection happened over three days. Friday was the day of pain, a day of pain and suffering and agony. Saturday was a day of loss, of grief, of confusion, and misery. And Sunday, thank goodness for Sunday, was the day of joy, celebration, and victory. Amen? Amen. Here's the thing. In our lives, we are going to go through those three days over and over and over again. Some of us might now, right now, may be in the days of pain. Some of us right now may be in the days of confusion and doubt. Maybe you're saying, I have the simplest idea what I'm supposed to do next in my life. Hopefully you get to that day of joy. But you're going to go through these three days over and over and again. And when you do, you're going to ask yourself three fundamental questions. What do I do in my days of pain? How do I go through my days of doubt and confusion? How do I get to my days of victory? That's what we're going to look at today. So let's begin. We begin with the day of pain. Friday was the day of pain. And Jesus experienced pain at an ultimate level. Let me explain. First, he experienced physical pain. The Bible tells us that he was beaten, that he was whipped, that he was wounded, that he was spit on, that he was slapped, that they ripped the beard out of his face, just to be mean, that they struck him, that they put a crown of thorns and drove them into his skull, that he was scourged. 
What is scourging? Well, scourging is just different than whipping. It's a long whip with kind of a cat of nine tails on the end of it. And they would, they would weave in little bits of bone and rock and, and ceramic and glass at the end so that every time that they whipped you, it would tear the flesh from your back. Assuming they applied 40 lashes minus one at nine tails, that's 351 tears in his back. And Jesus was scourged twice. You can figure the number of wounds that were on his back before he even went to the cross. And then they took him, and without sleep, without food, without water, they nailed him to a cross. One of the worst forms of torture that you can imagine. We don't have time to to go into all of the details, but the death of crucifixion really is death by suffocation because you can't breathe stretched out that way. It's why they would often break the legs of those being crucified so that they could not use their legs to help them breathe. Jesus experienced the ultimate in physical pain. But he also experienced the ultimate in emotional pain and psychological pain because death on the cross was death by humiliation. How would you like to be stripped naked, nailed to a cross, and then let people watch you die? It was a death of humiliation, a death of degradation, a death of shame. He went through the pain of rejection. He went through the the pain of a betrayal. And many of you know that pain, the pain that betrayal causes. He experienced that. Then there was a whole nother level of pain that none of us have experienced to his degree. He went through spiritual pain because Jesus died on the cross for the sins of all mankind. Which means he took the guilt of every evil crime, every ugly sin throughout history. All that guilt on him at one point in time. You know how bad you feel when you're guilty about one thing? How would you like to carry the guilt of every murder, of every rape, of every child molestation, of every holocaust, of genocide, of evil things, every inhumanity done to man? He took all that on himself, and he went through the hell of separation from God when he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we've never experienced that kind of intense physical, mental and spiritual pain combined. One thing you can be certain of is that Jesus understood pain. And he understands every pain that you and I go through, and he sympathizes with it. The writer to the Hebrews says this in in chapter 4. He says, The high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, since he has had the same temptations we do, though he never once gave way to them and sinned. Earlier in that book he says, For since he himself has now been through suffering and temptation, he knows what it is like when we suffer and are tempted. And here's the key. He is wonderfully able to help us. He knows the pattern and the pathway. And he has the power to get through the Fridays and the Saturdays, the days of pain and the days of confusion in your life. So what do you do in your day of pain? You do the two things that Jesus did on the last day of his life. The two things that Jesus did that he modeled for us. You follow his example. Number one, and this may surprise you, he reached out to friends. That's the first thing that Jesus did. Their presence can be helpful in your life in sharing your pain. On the night that Jesus knew he was going to be arrested and betrayed, tortured, and executed, the last thing he did on planet earth was to gather his closest friends together. And he said, I need you guys to hang out with me. I don't need sermons, I don't need speeches, I don't need advice. I just need you to be with me while I pray. It's the ministry of presence. He said, I need to go pray. And and he goes to his his favorite prayer spot. 
It was called the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane was an olive garden on the Mount of Olives. You might call it the Olive Garden, but we might confuse that with a restaurant. So we'll stick to a grove of olives. This is where Jesus went to pray. And he takes his 11 closest guys, these people who he had spent three and a half years with. They're his most intimate friends. And he says, in my day of deepest need, in my hour of greatest pain, I just need my friends to hang out with me. He says these words. He says, notice what he says in Matthew 26. Jesus took his disciples with him to, the, to Gethsemane, and he said, stay here with me. I just need you to be present with me while I pray. Then he took Peter, James, and John a little further. He was filled with anguish and deep distress. He knows what's coming. And he said to them, my heart is so overwhelmed, so crushed with sorrow that I feel like dying. Just sit here and watch with me. Then Jesus took a few more steps, fell to the ground, and prayed. That passage in the Bible tells us two startling facts. Even Jesus, as being fully human, needed friends to be around him. But this is the exact opposite of what we normally do. When we're in pain, we typically pull back. We isolate ourselves. We back out of relationships. When we are in physical pain, in chronic pain, emotional pain, mental pain, when we've had a failure, an enormous setback, when we're embarrassed or ashamed or whatever it is, we typically begin to isolate. That's dumb. It's a mistake to do that, to pull back from your, your, your friends in your time of pain. God never meant for you to go through those things on your own. He meant for there to be friends there to help bear that pain and for you to share their pain when they are going through something. Don't isolate. Another thing is that is startling about this is how open and how gut-level honest and how authentic Jesus was about his emotional condition. He doesn't sugarcoat it. How are you doing? Well, I'm just fine. No, he tells them exactly how he feels. He says, my heart is so overwhelmed and so crushed with sorrow, I feel like I am dying. Have you ever been that gut-level honest with anyone? Or have you just held it all in, sucked it in, and, and pretended like things were good and said, ah, yeah, I'm fine. Nothing going on here. When you're going through enormous pain, God says, I don't want you to repress that pain. I don't want you to suppress that pain. I want you to express that pain to your friends. I want you to confess your pain to me. you got to get it out. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love your neighbor as yourself. Care for one another. The Bible says that I am commanded by God to be there when you are in pain. And you are commanded to be there for me when I am in pain. Why carry these burdens alone? We carry each other's burdens. And in that way, we share them. We have them. He never meant for us to go through pain on our own. It's why being in a small group is so important. If you're not in a small group, we have several here I actually would worry about you as a pastor and elder because you don't have that safety net that's going to carry you through when a crisis comes. Who's going to be there when you're going through tragedy? Who are you going to call? Who are you going to reach out to? So you start by reaching out to friends, just like Jesus did. Friends are essential, but friends can't be there all the time. Friends get tired. God never gets tired. And friends have other things to do sometimes. The fact is, Jesus' friends in the Garden of Gethsemane that night and his disciples, in his hour of deepest need, they fell asleep. They fell asleep. Now, I'm not going to put them down for that. At least they were there. They showed up. My wife used to fall asleep on me while we were talking on the phone while we were dating. 
It didn't exactly instill me with confidence. Let me tell you, when she would start to snore, I guess it was time for me to hang up and try again in the morning. (laughs) Friends cannot always be there for you. But God, he never gets tired. And he doesn't fall asleep on you. So the second thing you need to do when you're in a Friday of life, the day of pain, you got to reach out to God. You don't just reach out to your friends. You also reach out to God. How do you do that? You do it by praying. This is the other thing that Jesus did right before he faced the worst pain in his life. He went and he prayed. The Bible says in Mark 14, Jesus fell face down on the ground. Verse 36, he fell face down on the ground and prayed that if possible, he would not have to suffer the pain ahead of him. He prayed, Abba, Father. Now, Abba is an Aramaic word for daddy. It's also a Swedish rock group, but we're talking about something else this morning. He says, Abba. He says, Abba. It's a Middle Eastern word that every child learns. Abba, Daddy, Papa. He cries out to his father. And Jesus is saying, when you're in your worst day of pain and you need to to talk to God about it, you don't have to use fancy language. You don't have to come to God and say, oh, thou most righteous and just creator of the universe. Those are all true and wonderful things. But he's looking for you just to be gut-level honest and say, Daddy, I need help. Help me in my day of pain. That's what you do. You just call out to God. He is your Father. And because your Heavenly Father loves you, He cares for you. And here's what Jesus prays. He says, I know you can do all things. I don't want to have to drink this cup of suffering. Nevertheless, I want your will, not mine, to be done. Now, listen closely. This is a pattern. Jesus prayed three things in his prayer of deepest pain. And when you are in your day of deepest pain, it's a good pattern to follow that Jesus has given us. Three things Jesus prayed in his Gethsemane prayer. It's a model for us. First, he affirmed God's power. Here's what you pray. God, I know you can do anything. I know you can take away this pain. You created the universe. If you created the universe, you can do anything. You affirm God's power. Second, you express your desire. God, I don't want this pain. It's okay to complain to God. If you didn't know that, it's okay to go, God, this stinks. I don't understand what's going on. I don't like it. Help me understand. David did all the time in the Psalms. They're called Psalms of Lament. It's okay to say, God, this is awful. I don't get it. It stinks. I don't want this right now. It's okay to do that. Jesus did it. He said, if, this can, if there's any other way this can happen, Let it be done that way. And then the third thing you do is that you offer your trust. You say, but I want your will, not mine. So God, if this is not your will, I don't want it. I want what you want for me. I know you know what I need better than I need myself. I know, God, that you are in control and that there's no way that you don't love me. So whatever your will is, that is what I want. Now as Jesus finished praying, soldiers showed up and they arrested him. They tried him, they tortured him, they nailed him to a cross. He died and they put him in a borrowed grave. Now he comes to the second day, which are the Saturdays of life. The day of confusion. Fridays are the day of pain. Saturdays are the day of of doubt and confusion. Imagine how the disciples felt when they saw that the Messiah, the Son of God, crucified by the Romans, taken down and put in a tomb, and is now in a tomb that is sealed. They're all going, what happened? What just happened? 
They're thinking, we know Jesus could have come off of that cross at any time. In fact, he said so in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, yeah, I could call a legion of angels. They're at my command. I choose to do this. We saw him do all the miracles that he did for three and a half years. We saw him heal the sick, give sight to the blind, raise the dead, walk on water, calm the storms. He can do anything. And if he created the universe, God can do anything he wants in the universe. Jesus could have come off that cross at any time, but it was not the nails that held him there. It was his love, his love for you and for me. It's what he came to do. It's what his mission was. It's what he came to do in the world. Jesus was not a martyr. Jesus voluntarily sacrificed himself. He said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down, and I have the right to take it back up. He was not a martyr. He was on a mission. And that mission was to pay for the sins of the world. But imagine the confusion, the profound confusion. The Messiah, who was supposed to, in some people's minds, overthrow the Roman Empire, liberate Israel, and now the Romans have killed him and have nailed him to a cross and put him in a grave. What? What just happened? It's a massive day of confusion. That's the Saturdays of life, when you have profound grief, profound loss, disillusionment, doubt. Just think of all the emotions that they probably felt on Saturday. Maybe they felt regret. Maybe they felt abandoned. And they probably had a lot of self-recrimination. They all walked away from Jesus, his closest friends. Once he was arrested, the Bible says they all scattered. Matthew 26, 56 says they fled. They couldn't get out of there fast enough. We wimped out. We went AOL. We left him. We deserted him. Peter says, Lord, I will never deny you. And that night he denied him three times. There's a lot of self-recrimination going on. Then there's probably some fear mixed in with that. Well, wait a minute, they killed Jesus. Are they coming for me next? Then, of course, there's confusion. What in the world do we do now? When you're in the Saturday of life, you're in limbo. Maybe you've been there before. You accepted a new job, and, and even though you, you felt God was telling you to take that job, it didn't work out the way you thought it would. Maybe you went into a marriage thinking, this is, I have the greatest hopes and, and expectations for this, and, and that thing just falls apart. What's my identity now? What do I do now? Then there are thousands of ways that we could go through the Saturdays of life, the days of doubt, of confusion and grief. Jesus had warned them that this was going to happen. Matthew 26, he says, That very night, in the night he was arrested and killed, Jesus told them, Before the night's over, you are going to fall to pieces because of what has happened to me. There is a scripture, Jesus says, that says, I'll strike the shepherd, dazed and confused, the sheep will scatter. And that's exactly what happened. Every one of his disciples went AOL, left, left him, just departed, fled. Let me ask you a very pointed question. Have you ever deserted God out of pain? Maybe you're praying for something to happen and it doesn't go the way you expect it to, and you just pull away from God. Or maybe you thought it it should have gone this way and there's massive disappointment, and you walk away from God. You walk away from the church. And If you've experienced those kinds of pain, I'm here to tell you it's time to come home. It's time to come back to a God who knows your every pain, knows your confusion and doubt, and loves you, and has a plan. How do you get through those days of pain? Well, write this down if you're taking notes. You need to remember the promises of God. You need to remember the promises of God. Never doubt in dark what God has shown you in the light. 
My wife has a sticky note on her monitor that she's had there for years that says, never dig up and doubt what you planted in faith. When you're going through those days, and you're going to go through them, you will go through them many times in life. You haven't the slightest idea what's coming next. Everything is just turned to ashes, turned upside down. You don't know what to do. When you're in that situation, you're in the Saturdays of life, the days of confusion. You never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. And you never doubt his promises. Right before Jesus was crucified, he gave his disciples a huge promise, huge promise to hang on to in the dark days of Saturday. In John 16, Jesus said, here's what's going to happen. He's telling, them th- he's telling them this the very night that he was going to be arrested. Jesus said, here's what's going to happen. Soon I'll be gone, and you'll be without me. But after a while, you'll see me again. He's predicting his resurrection. He knows what's going to happen. They don't. I'll see you again. John 16, 20, verily, truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And then he says, A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But without her baby, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy, because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And then he finishes with this. He says, So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again. I'll be back. 2,000 years before Arnold ever said it. Jesus said the same thing. I'll be back. Arnold just ripped it off. He said, and you will rejoice, and no one will take that joy from you. When I come back, you're going to be fearless because you know I can handle anything. It was all planned. It was all part of a great scheme that you didn't know, but I knew, and I was working it on your behalf. You can't see in the days of pain. You often can't see in the days of confusion, but it's all part of the plan, and it's a good plan. And when you see that plan, you rejoice, and no one will be able to take that away from you. No one will be able to rob you of that. I don't know what you're going through right now, but I can tell you this. You need to become a promise person. You need to know the the promises of God. In the Bible, there are over 7,000, 7,487 by one count, promises that God gives to us. If you don't know them, You can't claim them. You can't use them. And if you can't claim them, they're like checks that have been sent to you in the mail that are just piling up in your mailbox that you haven't cashed in yet. How do you know the promises of God? Well, it's real simple. How do you know when you don't know them? Well, there's a warning sign. It's called worry. When you don't know those promises of God, you experience worry because you're not resting in what he has given you as a guarantee already that he cares for you. You act like it all depends on you, and you get stressed out, you get worried, you get upset, you get anxious. You're worried because you don't know what's covered in the owner's manual. A few years back, we were going to sell our camper. It was starting to to leak, and it was getting old, but it, it got too late in the season for us to sell it at the auction house, and the auction house advised us that we wait until the spring. We were hoping to get just a small amount of cash. We had had it for over five years. It was used when we bought it. That winter, there was a terrible ice storm. A tree fell on the camper and just about cut the back of the camper clean off. We lost the camper. We lost everything in it. Our hopes were dashed because it was trashed. Not only was the camper ruined, so was everything in it because you couldn't get up there because of all the ice. That was until we read the insurance policy and discovered that we were covered. 
Let me tell you, our grief turned to joy when we got back almost exactly what we had paid for it five years earlier. What's more, way more than we would have ever gotten at the auction. would look like a tragic day turned into a day of rejoicing. And we, we, uh, as we rejoiced in the promise of the policy that we had, and we, we cashed that check. i got to tell you, they can't take that joy away. We cashed that check in a hurry so that we could realize that joy. One of the 7,000-plus promises that you might find helpful is in Isaiah's letter, Isaiah 43, and it says this. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flame will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Savior and Savior, the Holy One of Israel. You need a Savior. The only way you're going to get out of the days of pain, the Fridays of life, and through the days of confusion and doubt, the Saturdays of life, and to those days of victory on Sunday is through a Savior because you can't resurrect yourself. You simply don't have that power, and neither do I. But if you trust, you can get to that day of joy on Sunday. On Sunday morning, a couple of women go to the tomb. They're going to mourn at the tomb, and it says at dawn, as dawn was just coming up, the sun was, was just beginning to rise, but the sun had already risen, if you catch my drift. Jesus shows up, and he shows up first to the women, and then he shows himself to the disciples. Then he shows himself to a bunch of other people. Over the next 40 days, over and over again, he has meals with people. He goes fishing with people. When the disciples saw Jesus, okay, game changer. We're not afraid anymore. We are fearless. Why? Because you can kill us, but we're coming back. We got resurrection power in our lives. We're not worried about things anymore. We know what the end game is. We know in the end we win. These 11, 12, 13 guys start spreading the good news that life can be changed and there is power in God's name because of the resurrection. And it starts spreading all over the Roman Empire. 300 years later, it becomes the faith of the Roman Empire as Caesar himself becomes a Christian. Why? Because they were fearless and confident because they had seen the Lord, and the joy that they had was contagious. How do you get to those days of joy? You rely on the power of God. You rely on the power of Jesus. You can't get there on your own. It takes resurrection power more than you have in yourself. Your life may have turned to ashes, and when your life has fallen apart, when you're in chronic pain and trouble, you can get there. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, just doesn't cut it here. You need God's resurrection power to get up that hill. You can't resurrect yourself. You need a Savior. It's why it's called salvation. If you could do it all on your own, then Jesus coming to earth and dying for you on the cross was a total waste. If there was any other way, don't you think that God would have chosen some other way than for his son to have to go through what we described and to die on a cross? There was no other way. I want you to listen closely. I'm going to summarize everything I've, I've shared with you. To get through the worst days of your life, you're going to need to do three things. You're going to have to reach out to the presence of Jesus. You're going to have to remember the promises of Jesus. And three, you're going to have to rely on the power of Jesus. When you do those three things, it's a game changer. Almost anything is possible. Jesus said it like this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will never will live, even though he die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
What that verse is saying is that death isn't the end of the story, and that gives me a lot of hope. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Notice the word I am. Jesus doesn't say I point to it, I teach it, I show the way. He says, I'm it. I'm it. What I'm, what I'm saying to you is that the answer to all of your problems, the answers to getting past Fridays and Saturdays, isn't in a practice. It's in a person. It's not about doing the right things. It's not about coming to church. It's Jesus. You don't need a religion. You don't need a ritual. You don't need rules. You don't need regulation. What you need is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. He says, I want to know Christ. And my prayer for you is the same one that, that Paul prays in Ephesians. It says this, I pray that you begin to understand, just begin to understand how incredibly great his power is. That's the power of God, the power of Jesus. How incredibly great Jesus' power is to help those who believe him. It's available. It's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heaven. Hello, what a promise. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you on a daily basis. If God can raise a dead body, he can raise a dead marriage. If he can raise a dead body, he can raise a dead career. If he can raise a dead body, he can fix a broken relationship. He can do anything. It's a whole new ball game with the power of God in your life. That's why Paul says, I want to know Christ not know about him. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering because, uh, and become like him in his death. He says, if it means going through some tough times to get there so that I have that same confidence in Jesus, I'll take it. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection because that's what matters most. It changes things. We're going to end with a life-changing prayer. Worship team, you can make your way back up. There's a verse in the Bible, another one from Paul's. This is from Paul's epistle to Romans. It says, if we confess, if you confess with your mouth, that means you pray. You say, God, I admit this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he's God, that he is who he says he is, that he has the right to be the manager, the CEO, the president of your life, and you mean it, that he can come in, that he can take residence, that it's just not part of your life, that he controls your life. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It will change forever. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's what Easter is all about. Then you will be saved. That's one of the 7,000 plus promises we can rely on. Have you claimed that one yet? If you haven't, you need to do that right now. Let's close as we end in prayer, and then we'll finish with a song. If you've never accepted the grace of God in your life, if you've never turned your life over to Jesus, maybe you're still in those Saturdays and Fridays of life because you can't resurrect yourself. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. So I'm going to pray a simple prayer now. I invite you to pray it with me. I encourage you to say it out loud, but even if you don't do that, mumble it to yourself. As I say the word, say, God, I want that too. What Jim is praying, that's the desire of my heart. I'm going to pray and you follow along. Dear God, we know every pain I've had in my life. And you know the confusion and the doubts I've had in my life. And God, you know I spent a lot of my life in Fridays and Saturdays. I want to get to Sunday. I want to live in joy and victory. Thank you, God. 
Thank you for sending Jesus to pay for all the things I've done wrong by dying on the cross for me. I don't understand it all. I don't know how it all works. But I know I need you in my life. As much as I can know how to humbly ask and thank you, Jesus, come into my life. Be Lord of my life. To come into my life and to make me the person you want me to be. I want to learn to love you and trust you. I want to know your presence. I want to live by your promises. I want to rely on your power instead of my own to get me through my most difficult days. I pray this humble prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Faith Fellowship, if you prayed that prayer, then you're in a whole new kingdom where the power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is available to you today. We're going to end with a song, Faith Fellowship, know that God is for you and not against you.